cross. That reminder that in Christ we are a new creation. Are you one of those people like me? And I would venture to bet you are. Who really loves the underdog? You know, you, you, you always want to pull for the underdog. You want the last kid to get picked for kickball to be the kid who has the greatest game. You know? You want, to, you, you want the kid who's the, the little skinny kid on the football team to make the big game-saving tackle. You always, we're always pulling for the underdog. I think it's a part of human nature to pull for the underdog. I think we all in some way feel a little bit like an underdog. And it's become more and more aware to me as I've been thinking about the Christmas season that this is a whole team full of underdogs. These are the kids who, after everyone had been picked for kickball sides, were still standing on the sidelines because no one picked them at all. These are the people you would not have chosen for the story had you been given the opportunity in the first century to pick this team. You would think that Jesus, the Son of God, is showing up on earth and you would have an all-star team in charge of it. But instead, you have an underdog team. You have these guys. They're all looking at it like, me? Who, me? You have this guy. And we're pulling for him, but we don't think he really has a chance. And in reality, if you looked at that first century group, nobody really thought they had a chance. They were, in fact, an underdog team. What I'd like to talk about in terms of the faith of Christmas this holiday season, I'd like to talk about the faith that these underdogs had To join this team. I want to talk about the faith that this group of outcasts and underdogs had to join this team, to be a part of this movement. This is the this is the team gathered off the junk heap of life that's really being put together to be the winners of this thing. The Christmas story is about a couple from the other side of the tracks. They're poor. They don't have much going for them and all. And lo and behold, she turns up with child before their wedding. Not, not one of the teams you would pick. This isn't the lady you would say, that's the one we want. One we want. She's too young. She's too poor. And what about this whole thing that happened before the wedding? Nobody would pick her. But God did. Joseph... We're not sure about Joseph. It appears that he's a widower. He's living in Nazareth. It's a, it's a town full of Gentiles. It's barely getting a start. It's mostly a bunch of people trying to come to help build another town. They're really only gathered there in this little bit of a burg to help build another town that the Romans are wanting to build in the neighborhood. There's no reason to pick this guy. The only thing these two have gone, going for them is that they are very, 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 very distant cousins of David, both sides, Zecharias and Elizabeth, almost forgotten when we tell the story, Zecharias and Elizabeth, this is an elderly couple, well past childbearing years, 
and God decides to let the first child be born with them. The one who will set the stage for the coming of Jesus will come from the grandparents, not from the parents. This child's going to be raised in the desert by a couple of elderly old folks who are well past their prime. This is a story that has a lot of people in it who, the, who society would say are past their prime. Do you know that Anna, who comes and blesses Jesus, is probably over 100 years old? That Simeon is hanging around the temple just waiting to die. If you, are, if you think that your age disqualifies you for an engagement in a miraculous and powerful way with Christ, think again. Age is not a disqualifying factor when it comes for God doing something spectacular in your life. Most of us, when we reach a certain age, we start thinking about, well, this is the end of my real worthwhile, my real purpose-driven life. But there's no such thing. When your eyes close and your last breath expires from your body, that's the end of your purpose in the life. Before that time, God may call you to some miraculous, powerful thing at any moment. Moses started leading, started leading the children of Israel out into the prom, out into the wilderness at 80. Sarah gave birth to her first son at 90. Now I wouldn't wish that on either any of you. But I'm telling you, God is not done with you because the calendar has marked a certain number of years. Please don't Take that in as what's happening with you. Retirement from your employment is not retirement from your purpose. When you are lying in the hospital bed, you're on acute care, you're in the intensive care unit, the doctors come in three or four times already and said, well, we don't know that there's anything more we can do for you. You're still not done. Lay in your hospital and pray your last prayers for your family, for your friends for those nurses, for those doctors. Because those prayers will outlive you. Those prayers go to the ears of the eternal and their impact will outlive you. The shepherds. These guys were disqualified because of their employment. These guys were were disqualified from being in the story because they were doing the wrong job. The whole society had kind of, kind of gotten beyond being shepherds. This is a whole society that grew out of a shepherd's family. And now they look down their noses at shepherds. It's like, oh, those shepherds, they're always dealing with dirty old sheep. And they're always having to be dealing with babies and the offal of sheep. And oh, it's such a disgusting thing. Oh, they're so dirty. We don't want them around. They're all shepherds. They're Semites. They are now treating the shepherds in Israel the way the Egyptians treated them when they were cast into, when they went off into Egypt. Do you remember the Egyptians had them go off into a separate land away from the rest of the population because the, the Egyptians didn't like shepherds? Well, now when Jesus is about to arrive and he announces it to these guys, the whole culture says, oh, we don't like shepherds. You guys stay out there in the boonies where you belong. You guys, you guys stay away from the rest of us. You're unclean. You're not really good Israelites. And the Magi, disqualified for one reason. They were born in the wrong place. Bunch of foreigners. 
Can't have those guys in the story. They're, uh, they're illegal immigrants, by the way. They come across the border without permission. And they're sneaking stuff in. So not only are they illegally immigrating, they're smuggling. It's quite the story, isn't it? There's your cast for you. A woman too young to have a baby, a man who's a widowed, they're just poor. They live up in a city run by Greeks and Romans. Zechariah, they're just old people living out in the hills in Judea, well past their prime. A bunch of shepherds, young men and old men who have been in the filth of dealing with animals their whole life, and those foreign guys. That's the cast of the story. Throughout the next couple of weeks, I'd like to sort of pick apart some of these stories and just look a little bit closer at some of these folks. And I want to specifically emphasize the faith it took for them to buy into the story. The faith it took for them to accept that they might be a part of this. And I want to start with Zechariah and Elizabeth. I want to start with where the Bible starts. Luke starts the story with Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I think it's where you should start the story. This Christmas, when you sit down to read the story with your children, start in Luke chapter 1. Read it through from Luke. Because he gives you the bigger picture. You get everybody, you get all the players when Luke tells the story. Why? Because Luke is doing a historical research paper. When Luke is presenting his gospel, he's gone back and done the research and tried to figure out all the story. In fact, if you read his introduction, he says, Theophilus, I've, I have gone and looked at it and tried to, at, tried to bring together a more perfect representation of what really took place. So Luke has done his homework, he's done his research, and he's bringing you the biggest picture he can find of the story. And so he begins Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's Luke 1, 5 to 25. We're mostly going to be focusing on Zechariah, and I think it will take us the rest of the time allotted to do just that. Chapter 1, verse 5, when Herod was king in Judea. Who's king? Herod. So this is the same time as Jesus, right? You understand, Herod is still king when Jesus is born. When Herod was king in Judea, there was a Jewish priest. What's his occupation? He's a priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Now, we don't know for certain about this. We know generally that this priestly line of Abijah should have been in service that summer. So July, August, June, July, August, somewhere in there in that summer, he would have come to do his priestly service. So if you start counting 15 months from there, because remember his wife is six months pregnant when she sees Mary who has to carry the baby for nine months add them together what do you get 15 15 months from the time of his service you start counting around the clock you're probably looking at an appropriate time for Jesus birth somewhere in the fall September October are the likely months so December 25th is not the day when Jesus was born okay we're pretty certain that December 25th was not the day when Jesus was born. It's a day we've gathered from another place. When we get there later this, week, later this month, I'll talk to you a little bit about it. When we get into Daniel in January, I'll talk to you more about it. But the point of it is, this is the holiday we celebrate to celebrate the, the birth of Jesus. Just don't be, don't be confused about when it took place. It probably took place in September, October because of this priestly line of Abijah. They're both Aaronic priestly family members, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were righteous in God's eyes. Stop. Whose eyes? God's eyes. Not their own eyes. Not the Pharisees' eyes. Not the other priests' eyes. But God's eyes. They were righteous in God's eyes. That's a big difference. 
Jesus will draw a distinction between these two during his ministry quite often that there are those who are righteous in their own eyes and there are those who are righteous in God's eyes. Those are different things. The grace and mercy of God makes you righteous in God's eyes. Your own self-righteousness makes you righteous in your own eyes. These people were righteous in God's eyes. Careful to obey all the Lord's commands and regulations. Now, does obedience disqualify you from being righteous in God's eyes? Absolutely not. I would expect the two to go together. It's just not that their obedience was meritorious. They were righteous in God's eyes because of who God was, and their obedience was a part of that action. They have no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both, what? Very old. Very old. The Bible is trying to help us understand these people are past the point of no return where children are concerned. Now, should this be a new thing to Israel? This is a whole nation born out of a woman who is 90 years old, right? This is a whole nation born out of, out of a, a, her daughter-in-law who was also unable to have children, Rebecca. This has happened before in the history of this group, but you get to that point. Sometimes your dreams begin to fade after your prayers have been long, long echoed into the darkness. You've laid on your bed for 50 years calling up to the ceiling and you're not getting an answer. And so you've kind of stopped. And these two people have, have reached the end of their prayer rope where that is concerned. And Luke tries to make it clear to us there's no unrighteous reason for them. There's not, they're not unrighteous people. This is not a curse on them. The reason he's trying to make that clear is because the first, size, first century culture would say, these people are cursed of God. That's why they are not having children. If you had no children, you had no heir. If you had no heir, God could not possibly like you because what's going to happen? Your family is going to die with you. And so Luke makes it clear to us, these are righteous people, but they're, not, they're, they're beyond the point of no return where children are concerned. One day... Lots of great stories start that way. And then one day, one day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple. For his order, order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary. Now what they would do, because there were a lot of them, sometimes there would be 60 or, seven of the, 60 or 70 of these priests come that week to serve. So you'd serve from Sabbath to Sabbath, and they would, they would all come and they would stand in this semicircle. Okay, and they would hold up a finger and there would be a pre-chosen number and the priest's head of that group would count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And if you were the chosen number, you were number one. Okay, number one's job was to put the sacrifice on the altar outside so the, for the morning or evening sacrifice. This was done twice a day for the morning or evening sacrifice. They'd put the sacrifice on the altar. That's about nine in the morning. Um, and then if they were doing the evening sacrifice, it would be three in the afternoon. So this was the way it would, the, the thing would go. They would lay, the first one would lay the altar on the, the sacrifice on the altar. Then they would start counting again. One, two, three, four, five, six. And if you were the next one, your job would be to go and, and clean and prepare the altar for that morning sacrifice. Third one, that's our buddy Zechariah. This was considered the most honored position of the day. And it was his job to put the incense on the altar. 
he would choose a couple of people who would go in. One would take the, take the coals off the altar. The other would put a new set of coals from the altar burnt offering on the altar. And this is probably more than you ever wanted to know. And then he would come and he would lay the incense on the altar. The reason this was considered such an exalted position is because it was his job to lay the incense on the altar and lift Israel before God. His, he had two things to pray about while he was in there. One, the salvation and the mercy and the grace of God, the sins of the people to be forgiven for that day. And number two, to pray that the Messiah would come soon. So Zechariah went in. This is the most exalted job to be chosen for among the priests. Very often they would only do this once in their life. Because if there was a large enough group, that they would all, as they would rotate in every, twice a year... If there was a large enough group, you, weren't at, you were asked to not do it. You were asked to disqualify yourself if you had been already chosen before. So that other people would get a chance. So everybody had to get a chance for him to get a second opportunity. So it was unlikely that he has ever done this before or ever would do it again. Zechariah is chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Now I want to stop for a sec. I want to talk to you about what happened here. What we've been introduced to. We've been introduced to a family, a couple, has learned to say yes to God. We've talked about this a few weeks ago, right? We talked about the idea of getting in the practice of saying yes to God. When God calls you to do something, you say, yes, Lord, I'll go. When God calls you to stop doing something, you say, yes, Lord, I'll stop. And when he calls you, you say yes. When he calls you, you say yes. When he calls you, you say yes. This is a family that's in the practice of saying yes to God. And when Zechariah's lot falls on him, he's chosen by chance. Right? Maybe not. Maybe his lot falls on him because God decided this was the day Zechariah was going into the temple. Yeah? Yeah. So when the lot falls on Zechariah, Zechariah is already used to saying yes to God. Right? When the lot falls on you, you want to be heavily practiced in saying yes to God. Right? When the lot falls on you, whether you're 8 or 80, you want to be heavily practiced in saying yes to God so that you don't miss the opportunity that that lot is bringing to you. When the, when the finger is finally pointing at you, when they're picking teams and you get chosen, you want to be ready to say yes to God for that team. And here's this old guy. He's probably never been chosen for this before in his whole life. And the lot finally falls to him. He says, yes, God, I'll go. He's used to saying yes to God. Number two, he's got a bunch of people outside praying. When the lot falls on you, you want some folks praying. Don't you think when the lot comes to you, when you're when that lot falls on you, when your lot finally falls on you and the, and, and, the, and the Lord points and he says, it's your turn. Don't you want to have a bunch of people praying for you, being in the habit of praying and being in the habit of other people praying for you, being in the habit of praying for others? This is what bolsters those folks who step out, who step across the line and say, OK, God, you want to send me off to Ethiopia? I'm going. OK, I don't know what the deal is out there, but I'll go. You want to send me into New York? OK, I'm going. I don't know why you want to send me to New York, but I'll go. I don't seem like the guy you should choose for this, God, but I'm, I'm okay because I'm used to saying yes to you. And i got a whole bunch of friends who will pray for me no matter where I am. Isn't that the way you would want to go into something like this? 
When the lot falls for you, you want to have some things going for you. You want to be in the pattern of saying yes to God. You want to be about the Lord's business that he's called you to. What is Zechariah doing? He's doing his priestly thing. He's come where he's supposed to be on the day he's supposed to be there, and the lot falls on him. You want to be found doing what God has called you to do. Now, I want to stop you for a second and think about that. Some of you are gifted in lots of interesting things. Some of you are gifted in only one simple thing. Whatever that is, would you throw that forward for the kingdom's use? Now, I'm, I'm asking you. I'm not saying you should. I'm asking you to actually do it. Would you look into yourself right now and say, here's what I'm good at. Here's what my gifts are. I want to throw those in for the use of the kingdom. The lot may fall on you and turn you in a completely different direction. But you want to be found doing what God has called you to be and do when the lot falls on you, right? You're in practice of following God. You're in practice of being where God wants you to be when he's asked you to be there. And you got some folks praying for you. You got some folks praying for you. That's Zacharias' situation when he walks into the temple, right? He's used to saying yes to God. He's doing what God has asked him to do. And he's got folks outside praying for him. Do you think that combination has some power? The story goes on. You probably have heard the story before. Maybe, maybe not. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. I love these pictures because they always make me smile. He's in the sanctuary. He's going about his business. This is already the coolest day ever in his life. This is already the coolest thing that's ever happened to him. He has been chosen today to go in and offer the incense on the incense altar to stand as close to God as you can get in the sanctuary, right next to the veil, lay the incense on the altar, and pray for the people of Israel. It's the coolest day ever. If he had a cell phone, he'd have called his wife, he'd have taken a selfie in there. He didn't have a cell, a cell phone. It's probably a good thing. When he got home, that's all he would have wanted to talk about. You, I got chosen. Me, Zechariah from the Judean hills. I was chosen to go into the holy place and lay incense on the altar. You know how cool that is, Elizabeth? Do you understand how amazing that is, Elizabeth? It's already the best day of the old man's life. And now he's standing before the altar. He's laid the incense on the altar. You know how I know? Because he's already prayed. Gabriel says your prayers have been answered. He's laid the incense on the altar. And he's praying for Israel. And he's praying for the sins of the people. And he's saying, my God, we have laid a sacrifice on the altar outside. A sacrifice that will stand for the sins of the people of Israel. Wherever they find themselves today. From far off Spain to outside here in Jerusalem. Wherever a person might be today. I ask you to cleanse them from their sins. To lift up this people. And Lord, please bring the Messiah soon. Whoa! Gabriel appears. Standing on the right side. I don't know why we had to know it was the right side, but he's on the right side of the altar. When you get to heaven, would you mark that down as one of the things to ask, in case I forget. Why the, what's the big deal? Maybe it's because it's the side of authority. Maybe the altar is supposed to represent a throne of God and, and it being on the right side is that connectivity with God. I'm not sure. He's standing on the right side of the incense altar. Zechariah, I like this translation, was shaken... And overwhelmed with fear. What would you be? 
I, every time I think of it, it just brings the smile on my face. Every time I think of an angel disappearing in your room, like, wow, whoa! I know you all think you'd be calm and cool like in the movies. Oh, look, Gabriel. <laughs> and you would have just the perfect line. I've always wanted to meet you. <laughs> Wasn't expecting quite this. You know, no, everybody in those situations does the same things. They jump back and they go, whoa, that's really scary. What are you doing here? Who are you? He's shaken with Fear when he sees him. This angel appears. And what does the angel always have to do? What are the first words out of these angels' mouths over and over again? Don't be afraid. It's okay. Calm down. It's all right. It's just me. An angel sent from heaven, standing here next to the altar in the holy place. Oh, by the way, ten minutes ago I was standing next to God. That's cool too, eh? The angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Now, now Zechariah's got to be thinking, which one? Wouldn't you? Which one? I like, got a lot of them. I got a catalog. I have a list in the back of my Bible. Which one? God has answered your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Stop. If you were 70 years old, now I'm just guessing. And the angel appeared in your bedroom this evening and said, guess what? Your wife's going to have a baby. What would you do? Would you be going, yippee? I wouldn't. I'm 54. I don't want to get up in the middle of the night with babies. I have grandchildren. You get up in the middle of the night with them once, maybe twice, and then you send them home. It's a beautiful thing. I, I, if, if, if I'm Zechariah, I might be asking, why'd you pick that one? Zechariah's used to saying yes to God. To doing and being what God has called him to do and be. He's already a prayed up guy. His prayer is being answered. He said, all right. Okay, I'm kind of kind of expected at this age to be Grandpa Zechariah, not Daddy, but okay. He continues. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Could you pray that over your children? We have the expectations of our children. My dad wanted me to be a lawyer. Honestly, if he had told me, I wouldn't be standing here today. No question. I would have gone off to be a lawyer somewhere, and I'd be standing in front of a court, praying that the judge doesn't laugh at me or say something silly. You have expectations for your children. We all do. But could we just pray this one? May my child be great in the eyes of the Lord. You're aware of John the Baptist's career, right? Lived out in the desert, wore weird clothes and drank and ate weird food. That's how the Bible describes him, really. That's what, it, that's what it's saying. Guy wore weird clothes and drank weird food. 
Now you read, oh, he wore camel hair and ate locusts and wild honey. You go, oh, okay. No, the first century that was weird guy, weird food, weird clothes. (laughs) 30 years old, he comes in. He finally starts talking to people and it's cool. People follow him. He has disciples. The whole of Israel starts listening to what he's saying. He's, He's a voice for God and then the king cuts his head off. Now, now, frankly, none of us would have wished this career for our kids, right? None of us would have said, we want our kid to grow up and live in a commune in the desert, dress funny and eat weird stuff, have a 15-minute career and have his head removed by a king. Would we? But you see, the economy of God is different from our economy. And to be great in the eyes of the Lord is not necessarily to be great in the eyes of mankind. The greatest man in Israel is Herod, and I'm not expecting to meet him in heaven. He was great in the eyes of the Lord. That's the prayer I think we should pray over our children. May our children be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or alcoholic drinks. These are part of the vows of a Nazarene. He must never touch wine or alcoholic drinks. Now, I know that it's become more culturally accepted amongst Adventists to do this. Can I just say, bad idea. There is nothing good down that road. I grew up in a family where that was a common practice. I grew up around bars and drunks and brawls and all sorts of things. And if you're kind of grew up in the Adventist church and you're kind of saying, well, you know, a little wine won't hurt anybody. Can I just tell you it will? It does. It's a path that you turn down. That seems innocent enough when you make the turn. But the bridge is out in that direction. No good things down that down that road. And I know we can make the argument from Scripture that the Bible doesn't necessarily say absolutely no, absolutely not wine. It does say absolutely no, absolutely not drunkenness. One leads to the other. And I know lots and lots and lots and lots of people that I've met in my life, lived with in my life, who said, I can control my drinking. And I lived with them. And I'm telling you that they didn't. This is not a sermon on alcohol, but I'm just taking the opportunity to bring it up. (laughs) He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. You know, we know this is true because when, when Elizabeth meets Mary, who reacts? John reacts. John the Baptist starts doing backflips inside his mom. Oh, it's Jesus. He will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man of, with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept wisdom of the godly. If God stood before, sent his angel to stand in front of you and said, this is what I got to tell you about your son, that's what he's going to do, would you, be, would you be excited about that? Zechariah then said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? 
I'm an old man now. And my wife, don't let her tell her I told you this, is also well along in years. You notice she didn't say my wife is an old woman. <laughs> Take that away, gentlemen. How can I be sure this will happen? Now I want to stop here for a sec. Is this a no? Is he saying, not me, man, I'm not doing it? It is not a no. Is it a doubt? Yes, it's a doubt. Can God still work with you when you have doubts? It better be okay because every one of us does, right? Can God still work with Zechariah when he has doubts? Absolutely he can. Zechariah's saying, how am I going to know? I'm an old guy. My wife's an old lady. This isn't going to happen usually with us. We're going to have a kid. He's going to do all these great things. He's going to be great. How in the world am I going to know that's true? (laughs) The angel said, I am Gabriel. There should have been a drum roll or something. I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you did not believe what I said, you will be silent. How are you going to know? Your lips will be sealed. How are you going to know? You are not going to be able to talk. How are you going to know? Well, I'm giving your wife nine months of silence from your voice. (laughs) This is going to be the most peaceful pregnancy in the history of pregnancies. You are going to have nothing to say. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. I love this story. Because I understand this guy. You know, the stories I don't like are the stories of the people who get everything right. I don't like the stories of the people who always seem to have the right line and the right answer at the right moment. Those Because I'm never that guy. I get the right, the right line and the right answer about 10 minutes after you leave the room. It's like, oh, man, I wish I'd said that. I hope they understand. Holy Spirit, could you please just translate what I actually said to what I just thought of? What I love about this story most is here's a guy who doesn't belong in the story. Here's a guy who doesn't belong in the story. And he's just like us. None of us belong in this story. We're all broken. We're all messed up. We're all the wrong age from the wrong place. We're of the wrong nationality. We're all wrong for this part. And here's the Father in heaven choosing this man to be in the story. When the lot falls on you, it falls on you. When the lot falls on you, it falls on you. It falls on you with all your stuff, with all your brokenness and all your foibles and all your mistakes and all your things that you bring to it. That's why the lot's fallen on you. It's fallen on you because you're the right person for this thing right now. When the lot falls on you, it falls on you. His biddings are enablings. If the lot falls on you, he's got you. His grace, his mercy, his strength, his power, his authority will take you through whatever it needs to be taken through. When the lot falls on you, it falls on you. God has chosen you. God has picked you. God has said, you're the one I want for this. 
You are on my team now. When the lot falls on you, it's you he wants. When the lot falls on you, it falls on you. So be in a pattern of saying yes to God. Be in a pattern of saying yes to God. When the lot falls on you, don't you want to say yes? When God says, hey, would you like to try walking on the water? Don't you want to be the one guy out of the 12 that says, I'm in. Let me go. Let me go. Let me do that. Don't you? Or do you want to be the other 11 guys who have oars in their hands going, I wish I had said yes to that. Right? 11 guys did this. And one guy walked on the water. Which guy do you want to be? That's the guy who says yes to God. He's a little crazy. He says yes when other people wouldn't. He dives into the deep end when he doesn't even know how to swim. But man, he keeps doing the amazing things with God. Because God is big about rescue. You know what happens when a person who doesn't belong in the story gets to be in the story? All the glory goes to God. Because Zechariah and Elizabeth aren't sitting around saying, and we had a son and you should have seen him. Instead they're going, we were so old we shouldn't have had a son. And you should have seen what God did. You, it was amazing what God, the lot falls on you, it falls on you because you're the right person at the right time for that thing. Don't stop thinking, don't stop wishing, don't stop hoping that the lot will fall on you. It'll fall on you when you least expect it. Did these people expect to have this happen to them? No. Did Zechariah expect at the end of his life that he'd finally get to be standing there in front of the incense altar praying for the people of Israel and praying for the coming of the Messiah? No. And Gabriel shows up and says, Guess what, buddy? Your prayers have been answered. Which one? I just, I just threw two out there. Israel, the Messiah, what? Oh, your wife's going to have a baby. Oh, that one. I kind of tossed that one aside years ago. You're a little late on the scene for that one, God, aren't you? When a lot falls on you, it falls on you. Be used to saying yes to God. Be about the business you were called to, whatever that is. The call of God on your life, when he speaks to you and asks you to go do something big, small, insignificant, significant, just go do it. Cool things happen. And they're not going to happen if you're not trying. If you never jump out of the plane, you're not going to know whether you can fly or not. I heard a line in the movie, falling is just like flying. It's the landing that's the problem. If you never step out, you'll never know. If you never get out of the boat, you'll never walk on the water. Be about the business God has called you to. What has he called you to? What is it in the deep part of your gut that you've been hiding? What is it in the deep recesses of your heart that you've been holding out on? What is it that God has called you to that you're not wanting to do? With Zechariah, I want you to be a father at 70. Oh, man, now? Now? When he's 75 and this kid is five, he's going, Lord, I'm 75. Can you, make, can you give me a quiet kid? When he's up with colic, when he's up with coughing or cold in the middle of the night, when the kid's got the ear infection and no antibiotics, who's up, who's doing it, who's dealing with it? Mom and dad in their 70s. If you're 25 and you're having trouble with a kid keeping you up at night, think about this guy. (laughs) Next time you're up in the middle of the night holding your kid, think about this guy. You will feel less sorry for yourself. I guarantee it. Have some people praying for you. And be praying for some people. We should be stoking the fires of prayer all the time. When the lot falls on you, you want somebody praying for you. So be praying for somebody. The lot might be falling on them. 
be praying for your friends and your family. The law might fall on them today. God might call them to do something big or difficult. God might call them into something that they didn't expect to be called to. Be praying for them. And just remember, doubt is not too big for God to overcome. Doubt is not something too big for God to overcome. We all have it. We all deal with it. We all face it. You're not alone in your doubts. Everybody in this room and everybody you know has doubts. But if the lot falls on you, if this is your day, embrace it. Be ready for it. Go forward with a smile on your face knowing that God has something beyond your wildest imagination for you. If the lot falls on you, it's you he wants. Exercise that tiny bit of faith that it takes to step out and follow him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for stories of ordinary people like this. They really help ordinary people like us. I pray that each one of us would listen for your voice. That each one of us would recognize your call. That we would hear that voice that's been quietly speaking down in the recesses of our heart for years, maybe maybe all of our life. And we'd say yes to you. Help us to be found doing your business. It may be the business we're already at. It may be some new business you have. But help us to be found doing the business you've called us to. And help us to trust, to have faith to believe that if lot falls on us, you meant it. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a mistake. And it's not by chance. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being part of our service today. I hope you'll plan to stay the rest of the day with us. Discipleship classes begin in just a few minutes. Children's classes down this hallway to my right. Except for the littlest, they're in the back in those two doors. Adult classes are in this room.